Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Three, two, one, boom. And Jen, we're on. We are on. I was going to say, I, I always think that the low lights are more interesting than the highlights. The highlights 100%. Um, but it, it took a whole lot to get to them. I hope what anybody would take from a conversation is that we want to fail forward, right? Failure is a part of it. Um, and if we do a good job learning from it, then we don't guarantee that we won't fail again because we will. If we're trying to do good stuff, we will absolutely fail again. But hopefully we don't fall or fail in the exact same way again we get even a little bit better at at how we do it right like the face plant might not be directly in the mud maybe we turned our head a little bit you know and and only one side of the face got covered in the mud as a little girl i fell in love with football and i thought that the guys playing looked like real life superheroes and Yet one of the things that really upset me was it was also the first place in the world that somebody told me there was a difference between what girls were allowed to do and what boys were allowed to do. And that didn't really sit well with me because, you know, I have an army dad and, you know, my dad is a, a Vietnam veteran with a, a silver star and two bronze stars and there was nothing his daughter couldn't do. Right, like we would go fishing. It wasn't like, oh, well, this is a girl fish. Here, take the pink rod. It was like, you want the biggest fish out there. You're up. And fish doesn't care if you're a girl or a boy. You either catch it or you don't. Right, like that's that's it. And um, so to find places in the world that didn't allow for that for whatever reason it is, right, for that same balance of equality. That was really weird to me. Um, I didn't end up getting to play football at that time. I didn't actually play until I was 22. Um, but I ended up playing a lot of different sports. Uh, the main one when I was younger being tennis. Now, though all the accomplishments you said sound big, uh, the truth of the fact is that I am only five foot two. Um, so there have been a lot of no's in my life, uh, just based on that, including shelves, I still can't get to those. Um, but, you know, I was a young tennis player and I was ranked in the state of Florida um, at the highest point of uh, 50, I think. Um, so in Florida, that's pretty good because if you're ranked high in Florida, you're ranked high in the country. Um, and yet when I went to a new coach, um, he actually told me because of my size and my build, um, I was not yet to my top height of five foot two, um, that I would never be strong enough to play pro tennis. And I tell that story a lot because I didn't yet know 
what it meant to prove him wrong, right? This person was the authority. This person was the one who was supposed to help me take my game to the next level. And it's not that it killed my dream that day, but it did change my thinking. It was like, if I can't ever get there, no matter what I do, why am I working so hard? And the place where I found so much joy and found every ex excuse to be um, became a little bit less enchanting. And I started finding reasons why I wasn't going to play tennis or why other things became more important. And, um, and yet what I did also change in that was I never wanted anybody to tell me I was not going to be strong enough again. So at 14 years old, which girls didn't really do at that time, I started lifting weights and was determined to really find strength. And that served me well because once I found strength, when I found team sports, um, it was a whole lot different because I could be bigger in a team than just what I could do on my own. Um, and, and I think that that was a really big lesson for me is I really blossomed once I, I found team sports because um, there was a special mentality that I had that I was able to help influence other people in a positive way as well. I wanted to ask you a question. You're, are you an only child? I am not. I have an older sister. Her name is Rachel. She's two and a half years older than me. Your dad, because... We've, we've noticed, and, and as a guy, you notice as you get older and older, that a lot of women have dad issues that go the wrong way for lack of parenting from, from men. And I want to know how important your dad was in your confidence, in your work ethic, and in your dealing with failure. Um. You know, it's it's interesting because both my dad and my mom were were very important facets of who I am, right? My mom is, um, you know, she was such a good life translator and so compassionate and loving. And I think she really did a good job of helping me understand my dad too, um, because he was always a hero to us and that hero came with baggage, right? Like a Vietnam veteran um, and one who didn't have a dad um, has, you know, there were parts that were really tough for him and he would admit that to this day. So my mom did a really good job of building bridges where I think I might've had some of those daddy issues if she hadn't done such a good job. So I don't want that part to be, um, to be diminished in any way. Cause I don't think I realize as, and I am a daddy's girl in a lot of ways, like it took me until I got older to realize how much of me being a daddy's girl was because of the strength of my mom. Um, and with my dad, you know, he was, he was almost larger than life in a lot of ways. And she made him human um, because you know, he's a chiropractor and a doctor and, you know, um, also race cars and, 
you know, was a Vietnam veteran with medals on the wall. And so there were kind of like these ideals that he had. And I don't, and he's even told me, he was like, well, I didn't, I didn't really realize I was doing that. Right. But he would tell these stories from like Vietnam that to me had such clear life messages that I think I extrapolated them and made like, like a life code from them, right? Like, you know, one of them, and we've talked about failures, right? So this is a great one. He'd be like, he'd always say like, you know, if you're gonna be dumb, you better be tough. Meaning you got yourself into it. So you gotta get yourself out of it. And that played out for me in very real ways because I would look at those life lessons and it was just, it was just matter of fact, right? Like this is just what you do. Right. Like my dad would talk about um, when he was in the war and, you know, people were trying to kill his friends. And I remember saying, well, daddy, weren't you scared? Like, you know, they were trying to shoot you. And he would say, no, honey, I was mad. They were trying to kill my friends. And so like the same thing for me when I played football, it'd be like, well, I'm not scared of those big people. They're trying to take my friends out. So I always extrapolated like these very clear, defined rules from it. And, and they played out in, in a bravery and a resilience and a dedication in me that really was very black and white. Like there was no, there was no middle ground. And that's probably because I pulled those rules from his stories. He wasn't telling me stories in response to something that I did. Right. And so, you know, it, like I said, with fishing, it'd be like, no, you got to catch it. Like, don't let it pull you overboard, which, of course, he never would have let happen, right? But you don't know that as a kid. You're like, what? The fish could pull me overboard? You know, meanwhile, he'd probably be standing right behind me. But it didn't matter. I'm like, oh, I got to win it. I'm by myself. We had a smaller boat that we were towing back. We were running back from the Bahamas. And I say running because there was a hurricane coming. And there were, you know, eight to ten foot seas. And it was rough as heck. And we had a little boat pulling behind and it broke free. And my dad always said that the little boat was my boat and it was my responsibility. Well, as soon as that, that boat broke free, I jumped in the water at eight to 10 foot seas and swam myself onto that boat because somebody had to drive it back. And I remember my dad saw me and he was like, and he jumps in after me. Right. And, you know, I think I was 17, 18 at the time. And he's like, Jenny, what was that? And I was like, dad, it's my boat. Right. It was, there was no, and he just looked at me and I was like, Hey, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. And he just starts laughing. Right. But for me, those were really the, the powerful things of, of my dad. And yet when I wrote my book, you know, I always thought that we were on the same page with some of these like life lessons. And the first thing he said, and you know, my dad uh, survived a lot of trauma in his life from reading. Like he will ex- ex- um, escape reality in a book in a heartbeat. He's read more books than anyone I know. Um, and when he was young, that's where he used to hide from the abuse in his house. Um, and it's also what he did in the army to stay in an ambush position, right? Like he could stay there for hours with books. And when he read mine and he was about halfway through, I was like, well, dad, what'd you think? And he goes, 
Jenny, I had no idea you were so deep. <laughs> I just remember laughing and I'm like, but I thought I got that from you. And he's like, nah, I didn't get that from me. <laughs> so um, the relationship that we've had, I think, requires so much interpretation. Um, and a lot of that really building the bridges came from my mom. And yet I was blessed with the the absolutes and, and the strength that was portrayed from my dad. Until I was later in my career, stood out as like this bigger, stronger, faster athlete um, because I'm so small, right? Like I, I was always the athlete who was underestimated and told what I couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't do. Um, and being underestimated actually was something that fueled my fire um, and did help me develop into one of the best athletes in the world. So, you know, I, for the athletes listening and, and knowing that you speak to so many youth athletes, don't don't expect that the one who always stands out will be the one who finishes out. Um, because a lot of the times that early success kind of taints the work ethic. And it's got to be a combination of the work ethic and, you know, hopefully the talents. Because for me, um, you know, I had talents definitely, but I don't necessarily know that I um, recognized them early. My dad would tell you a story of me in probably like, I think maybe I was in kindergarten and my sister and my dad had been training for the school fun run, which was like 1.3 miles or something, which is long for a kid, right? And um, it might have been longer, I don't know, but it it felt like the longest thing in the world. And my dad and my older sister were training for the fun run because she had not run it the year before. And my dad wanted her to do it and feel good about it. And I think it was like the day before the fun run, but I was like, well, dad, I want to run. And he was like, well, Jenny, you know, I think it's great that you and your friends want to run. And I definitely encourage that. But, you know, you'll probably just run with your friends because your sister and I have been training. And, you know, he didn't want me to slow him down. And I was like, okay. So we go and we run. And my best friend, um, Kathy and I, we ran. And when we finished, we, you know, went and sat in the bleachers at the school and, you know, or did whatever we did. And um, my dad said he crossed the finish line with my sister and he was looking and he was looking and the time was going on and it was getting longer and longer and longer. And he started getting really worried. And then he looked around and he saw that we had been done way, way before him and my sister had even thought about crossing the finish line. And he said in that moment, he was like, oh my gosh, like, who is this little jock daughter of mine? Right. Um, so I, I was always physically active. Um, and then obviously in tennis, I was really, um, really competitive, but I, I was so undersized that I didn't win through like strength. I won through just like never quitting. And, you know, in a lot of the sports, um, just being small, I was really good until other people grew and I didn't, right? Like I was a great volleyball player coming off of tennis. I, I could serve overhand before anybody else. 
Um, I was like the heart and hustle award, the best digger, all of that stuff. And then going into high school, everybody else got tall and I didn't even make the team. So, you know, soccer wasn't like that for me. I was a two-year captain, was really, really good, but um, I was in a small town and didn't even know how to get noticed on like, um, a, like a platform to be able to play college. So though I was a really good soccer player, I didn't have the opportunity to play in college unless I would have gone D3. Um, and then I found rugby in college, you know, played that whole time, got recruited for the under 23 national team. Then again, didn't make it because I was too small. Um, and it wasn't until probably 2005, I think, so my fifth year playing women's football that um, that I was playing bigger than my size because I was still even being underestimated on my own team. They were like, oh, well, you're not big enough to be a linebacker. You're going to be a play, you're going to play safety. And what was funny is like, I was a downhill hitter. Like I didn't go backwards well. So they kept wanting to put me places where there were smaller people. And yet I played faster and more aggressively than people who were bigger than me. So um, it, it took a long time and really a lot of reputation before I overcame my size. And even then people had this perception of me that I was bigger than I was. Like um, when I made the US national team in 2010, um, the head coach, John Konecki told me years later, he was like, Welter, I'll never forget the moment you walked into camp and you know somebody said, oh, that's Jen Welter. And he was like, what? She's tiny. And I was like, well, what do you think after that? And he was like, well, not much. Cause I knew how you played, but like, I'll never forget how small you were in person. Um, and so, you know, really for all of you, you watching, you know, have the mentality of my little chihuahua here who does not realize he's little. And I always say he gets that from his mom because on the football field was a place I could play six feet, 10, even at five foot two. Jen, question. I, I became known almost as like the kid whisperer of dealing with parents and with, with kids. The amount of respect, the amount of support, admiration that I have for female athletes is huge, 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 huge. In society, I started to notice as I started to travel the country and more and more people started to reach out to me from receiving 500 to 1,000 DMs a week that I thought it was a Miami thing. In the Cuban culture here in Miami, the the moms, our moms, Latin moms, are very used to babying, especially the boys. My mom used to cut my steak. My mom used to make my bed. Like literally, like that's how she made up for the what was happening between me and my dad. That's how she, right. like, even out the store. But now, as I notice. When I worked with a five-year-old kid, I watch a five-year-old mom bring her five-year-old daughter to a practice versus their five-year-old son, and it's completely different. And I think, and I want to get your feedback on this, I think women raising women 
do very good because they kind of have this like Beyonce mentality that they don't want any man running up on their women or anything like that. So they make them very tough. But for the boys, they do it differently because as the divorce rate and as the separation rate and as the unhappy rate of women rises, they take that frustration and they put it into their boys. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, and I started noticing this a lot and, and talking about it on social, when a mom would bring her son, her five-year-old son, to t-ball practice, she would carry his equipment, hold his hand, while carrying her, his two-year-old, his one-year-old little brother, and here's this mom, and this kid's like, la, 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 and, and the mom's doing all stuff, right? Why do you think, first of all, have you noticed that? And then number two, do you agree with my theory, or do you have a different theory of you obviously being a woman in all men arenas, but noticing any of this? Well, you know, I will say that um, uh, a lot of a lot of the players that I've coached um, who were, you know, really respectful and gravitated to me as their coach learned like so much from the strong women in their lives. And so they have like a love and respect for women that comes through the strength that they had to see and experience through their moms, right? Like I remember when I was going to the NFL for the first time, the biggest question everybody had was, would guys in the NFL take coaching from a woman? And uh, with every mom that I met, it became clearer and clearer that they had been coached by women their whole lives, maybe just not in football. So why wouldn't they, right? And they, they knew and admired that strength. Um, I think culturally you're talking um, more the Hispanic culture in the machismo kind of versus the African-American culture because those moms are really tough on their boys, right? And they're like, you won't be that type of man, right? And there's there's a, I think maybe a difference in in what you've experienced culturally versus maybe what a lot of my my players have experienced. Now there is definitely a, a mom-daughter mix and a lot of that is compensating, I think, for, you know, for the, the deficit that a single, a single woman has, you know, had to pick up, but how they pick up might be very different. You know, I think one of the things that I've noticed from a lot of the single moms is to make sure that those, that those guys don't view, view women as less than. Right. And I think that that's really important. Um, I do think that there is a difference in, you know, how the moms are kind of with the daughters a lot of the times in that, you know, they maybe know that those girls are going to have to be tough because they haven't gotten the support from men. Um, but I don't know. I, I haven't personally experienced as much of the women taking the weight off the boys, as much as I have like having them really groom them to, to be good men. Um, 
And so I, that might be a, a cultural difference. Um, I know, and a regional thing too, because yeah. dealing with football, it's majority is black athletes. So mm -hmm. in the black community, it's totally different. I think it's what you said, that the moms and the grandmas are like, listen, I can't baby this guy because you don't have a shot. But right. in, the, in the middle class community, where mm -hmm. the two parents are present, and that goes, what I've seen is across the board, I've noticed a lot of that. And it's, and it's a lot of like the parents, because I think parenting is everything to me. Mm -hmm. And your winning mindset was now, as I hear more of your story, was both parents each doing their part. And I've noticed the, the difference in, in that. Were you, were you born in Florida? Where? Which part? Vero Beach. Oh, no, wait. We're, we're in Miami right now. Yep. So I'm, I was three hours up the East Coast from you. Where'd you go to college? Boston College. You went to Boston College. How was it being a Florida girl going to Boston, man? The cold, the different culture. I always think that anybody that has anything to do with up north, it automatically makes you smarter because obviously us down here in Miami and South Florida, we're worried about looks versus smarts, you know? But going up there, how was the cultural difference that you noticed going up there? Oh, it was tough. It was tough. I mean, we have like, you know, there's, there's a Florida warmth. I think that we just have as people like, like I'd be like, Hey, how y'all doing? And they'd be like, I'm sorry. Do I know you? You know, you're like, Oh, 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 we don't, do, we don't do that up here. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, weird, right? Like I think you just look at, at humanity through the lens that you've been exposed to and I've always kind of been that person who was just warm and loving to meeting different people. And like, you know, I'm fascinated with different people. Like I, I love and embrace different cultures. And I think part of that was because my, my family wasn't, you know, like it was just my dad. Um, my grandparents died really young. Like when I was really pretty young for the most part, except for my dad's mom, but my family was in Florida away from like all the extended family. So we just really were like our own self. So when people had really strong cultural roots, like I thought it was the coolest thing to like right. learn about it. So I've always been like really fascinated by learning cultural stuff or like trying different foods and, and experiencing that because we were really kind of just, you know, just neutral. And my dad was a doctor. So the, we had a, a very diverse, you know, group of friends and exposures. So I was always just kind of like, okay, and people are going to be like this. So when I went up North, it was like, Oh, you don't, you don't talk to each other. And then there was just this really formal kind of element at BC too, where like, you know, we're kind of relaxed in how we dress and beach culture in Florida. And like, I remember walking around and being like, am I in a J crew catalog? Because, you know, I'd be in like a teacher and they look like they stepped right out of like a catalog. And the joke was that like the, the, like a lot of the women who go to Boston college are there for their MRS, which to me, I was like, excuse me, what? 
like, no, 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 no. Mm-mm, we're not talking about that yet. I have, I have stuff to do in my life. So Jen, what's MRS? Like the missus degree. Oh, like you okay, were okay. there to like, you know, find a husband and like start your family. And to me, that's like, whoa, I'm way too young for that. I'm still too young for that. Um, but like, it, it, <laughs> I just, I culturally wasn't, wasn't really a fit there. Um, but I was within the athlete community. So we kind of had our own real culture that um, if I wasn't an athlete, I, I probably would have transferred, um, especially when there was a blizzard on April Fool's Day, my freshman year. That was my breaking point. Like I called my mom and I was like, mama, I don't think I can do this. Why is it so cold still? Like I was okay for a little while, but it is April Fool's Day. And I just got the biggest joke played on me because there are three feet of snow outside and I don't think I can do this. Um, But being an athlete was really, uh, really what what got me through. I I have a two part question for you. Yeah. Um, First. What was harder to earn a gold medal, a PhD, or to become the first female coach in the NFL? And secondly, whatever your answer is, can you walk me through that experience? Mm. All of them really difficult for their own reasons. The NFL being hard because there was no one I could look at and say, I want to be her. So it wasn't like it was something that I could break down and follow through a plan, right? Like it, you know, it was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to do this, 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 and this, right? So I just, I, I really had to be bold and take an opportunity of that and, and be drop kicked. Um, so I won't say that that was the hardest. Um, I will say that the hardest part about winning a gold medal was for women in football there, again, there was no support mechanism and we were the best in the world, but there was no funding even for that. So we all had to pay to play to represent the USA in America's game, which still is so hard to me today because We say it's America's game, but it's only America's game for half of the population, right? It's only that way for the men. For the women, you're still inherently an outsider for the love of that game. And I think that is a really hard thing in and of itself. Um, But when you talk about a PhD, for me, um, that's the most important component of differentiating me that helped set me up for the success of all of the other things that I did because there was always a bigger picture, right? I looked at being one of the best women's players in the world in a place where we weren't welcome and where there was no path as being part of me, but I never had the ability to see it as being all of me. And so What I decided is that if I were to pair the practical experience of being one of the best in the world and having chances to win gold medals and all of those things with um, with my Ph.D., 
then I would be a unique value proposition to the sport, right? I would be this, this great combination of theory and practice, and I would have a depth in, in the sports world that most people didn't have. And so to me, that was the hardest because it also required the foresight, right? To say, I'm going to do this differently. And I'm going to look at my athletic career differently and as being only a part of me and to take this opportunity to develop um, and and go through that. And so um, I started my master's in sports psychology um, probably my second year playing football. Um is when I first started really realizing that I needed this. And then when I got my, when I started getting into my master's in sports psychology, I was like all the way hooked because everything I would learn, I'd be like, ooh, I wonder if that works, right? And I would, I was kind of like my own experiment as a player. Like I would, I would, you know, test the theories out in my own practice. Right. How would this work? What would this look like? Whether I was studying coach athlete communications and I would start listening to my coaches differently or anything. All of it became like this giant life experiment that I was living. And so once I got my master's, then I realized quickly that I needed to get a Ph.D. because all of the real opportunities in psychology were with that PhD. So um, it was for me, work by day, play football by night, and then go to school by very late night. And that's really what is tough. um, Because you're not only like testing your knowledge, but you're testing your fortitude, right? When things get really, really tough, when money gets really, really tight, um, you have to go back to what your core vision is and that this is important to be different. And, you know, people would tell me I was crazy over and over again, you know, because I'd be balancing my laptop on a bus trip to an away game. And while other people were just, you know, chilling out and having fun with their friends or watching game film or studying, you know, I'd be writing research papers. And they, it was like, man, well, that's crazy. Like, you want to be a football playing doctor? Like, ha, 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 right? Like, that was like, they're like, you, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, I just put my head into things, guys, right? Like, hey, that's what I do. And in 2013, um, and it's so interesting that you asked about, was it harder to get a gold medal or a PhD? In 2013, I did both. Right. Um, In 2013, I played for the U.S. national team for the second time. Um, My dissertation was published and I graduated with my Ph.D. Um, And that was also the turning point of my women's football career, because later that year is when I entered men's pro football. So I think there are all elements of this of of being successful and really um, they're all a product of realizing that you don't have to be anybody else's story 
Um, and if they saw what you saw, then they probably would be doing what you were doing. So take crazy as a compliment when it means that you're, that you're crazy dedicated, that you're crazy in your vision, passion, and purpose, and that you're willing to put in work that other people may not understand. Do you miss being part of the NFL? I absolutely miss coaching football, um, whether it's, you know, the young girls to the Alliance League to, you know, I, I actually, believe it or not, went to went to Mexico and and coached some over there. Um, I've coached in Australia. Do you speak um, Spanish? Do you speak Spanish? Um, entiendo más que hablo. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> Long ago, when I was in college and coming up through high school, I understood and was relatively fluent but I haven't had to speak it in so long. Um, and yet the game can very easily, like somebody else can take my words and translate them. I'm, I'm great at technique. So that part was, was easy. Um, the NFL part is, is so tough. Like politically, I miss, I miss the guys and the experience every day. Um, but it's, I, I have so many great places where I get football. I miss having no football right now terribly, right? Um, but it doesn't have to be the NFL for me. Um, but I, I do absolutely miss it. What well, did you I, I, what oh, did you coach? Go ahead, coach. Hmm? Go ahead coach. Sorry. What position did you coach? For um at the end when I was with the Cardinals, I coached inside linebackers with um, my mentor, Larry Foote, who is as good a guy as you could possibly want to learn from. Um, he is straight up Detroit, so you get nothing but the truth. Um, and, I, and I love Footy for that. Um, when I was um, the head coach of the Australian women's national team, I also coached the D-line group. Um, when I was with the Atlanta Legends, most recently I coached D-line as well. Nice. So just well, put me in the trenches. Give me the box work. Now, if you could do, if you if we could snap the fingers and you could be doing whatever you want, what would, because I know you, you still do speaking. I don't know if you do more psychology work now. What does your life consist of now? And would you be rather doing what you're doing now or be coaching a football team? Uh, well, right now, um, you know, we're on lockdown in LA. So, I mean, I know COVID is um, is pretty bad in, in my home state of Florida as well. So I don't even know if you guys get to leave those four walls. Um, so though I am thrilled with a lot of things I do in my life, I would love to wave the magic wand and have COVID be gone. Like right. if I could change anything, I would change that for all of us across the board um, because – I mean, I, I miss being able to be in person and on demand, right? Like I, I have been in, in this place, though I love it, for way too many days consistently. Um, so I would take that out of the equation right now. Um, let's just get rid of COVID and like all be able to have some semblance of normalcy in the world at all. Um, with that being said, one of the things that I have done in this is that I created a kids book series to help the kids process 
all of the things going on with COVID. Um, and right now we have three books out. Um, hold on, I'll grab them. I'll show you. It's way better. Um, Where's the ladybug one? Where's the ladybug one? Huh? There's a ladybug one. Where's that yes, one? Yes, the ladybug is here. There it is. When a ladybug can't hug, and ladybug is Tyson. Um, poor dude. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about those moms and their kids. That might have been one of them. Poor Tyson yeah. is now a ladybug. But Chihuahua's hard to rhyme with. So um <laughs> When a ladybug can't hug, Doc's about social distancing and, and being in that space and, um, you know, just normalizing it for the kids um, and, you know, telling them kind of ways that they could, as I say, like, you know, can connect through the heart um, even when far apart. So allowing kids to normalize that, um, wearing a mask says, I love you is um goes through all of the cdc guidelines and gives the mask a hero story um which was really important for the kids because traditionally right you know this a, a mask would be a villain right like it would be a bank robber or a bandit or a you know one of those things and so to have all of these changes and then you know you know we're gonna wash your hands a million times and throw a mask on you and you can't go to school like all of that's weird and um, so wanted to change that conversation and give kids the opportunity to be a proactive, positive part of the solution. And then this one is the physical book, um, Critter Fitter with Busy Bee is an adventure in movement. And um, Busy, you know, takes the kids through like animal-based exercises. So for the kids that are bouncing off walls, it gives them something to do. Um, so that's been a way that I could be a part of the solution, um, which, you know, I always say that's, that's what coaches do, right? We, we look at challenging situations and try to have a positive impact. So I wish that the catalyst for having to do it was not here. Um, but it was, um, something that I could do, which, um, kind of still baffles me that nobody else was doing, um, to be a part of the solution. But yeah, I mean, if if I could, if I could snap my fingers and be, you know, back out on the football field and and coaching my guys right now, like yes, I I, I mean, I would love that. Um, Is that in the works, Jen? Do do you think about that? Like, in if there's a season 2020, 2021, do you think about getting back into the NFL at all, or is is that not an option for you anymore? Um, it is an option. It's always an option. Um, it really is about where can I move the needle the most. Um, for me lately, it's been in, in culture shifting as opposed to just being out on the field, which, you know, that's that's a conscious choice, right? Like if you're coaching and when you're coaching in the NFL, those are the, the longest days. Like they don't end. They just roll into the other. Um, so for me right now, I think – there's just, um, it's really important to be shifting culture and mentalities right now. And, you know, inclusion and having those conversations is really important. Um, and so uh, a lot of the work that I've been doing has been about, you know, opening doors, but also opening minds, right? Like 
um, working with Madden, for example, this year, which, you know, I always say that was one of my coolest accomplishments is being the first head coach in Madden. that was a female and there's what's the team. Jen, what's the team? I am team shutdown. Um, this is the superstar KO mode. So it's a fast play us. mode. You got to tell yeah. us so we know how to pick you. Come on. Yeah. And so it's superstar KO mode and I am team shutdown. And anybody who knows me knows they definitely took the quote from me because we have the best defense. So the philosophy of our team is if they can't score, they can't win. Um, nice. and, team colors. Give me team colors. Um. The team colors are like a blue and yellow. Did you pick um, them? Did they let you pick them? I didn't pick them. Aww. But I am super freaking tall in the game. This is the thing that all my guys laugh about. Like, and it was funny because they picked up on it. Um, I have to show you a, a little video here um, that you can see it. Because when it came out, I'm actually like, where is Waldo? kind of in Madden because I'm in there twice. Um, I am in there as a reporter in the story mode, right? So when you go through all that, I'm in there as a reporter. And then in superstar KO mode, I'm there as a coach. So I got to do all of the mocap and all of that stuff, which was really, really fun. Who started that relationship with Madden? Did they reach out to you? You reached out to them? How did that happen? So I met them. I actually um, worked with a company called Toya, which is a game development company out of Israel. And they do all, um, they do all um, Minecraft worlds based around strong women. And that essentially their business model is that uh, about half of gamers are girls, but there are very few um, games with strong female protagonists. And they asked me if they could develop um, Minecraft worlds around Coach Jen because I don't know how they found it, but in Israel, they found out about my football camps for girls and they were in love with this concept. So I'm like a big kid and I was like, yeah, totally. So there are three Minecraft worlds. But then from those Minecraft worlds, what happened is they introduced me to the guys at Madden and I met um, Michael Young and Robin Cowie and they were the director and producer of the story mode in Madden. And I'm talking to them and I distinctly remember teaching them zone coverages with pizza, right? Because I was going on where's the soft spot in the zone and I'm moving around different slices of pizza. And they're laughing because they're like, why doesn't every coach do this? Because most coaches just confuse us more. Like we have hired coaches before to come into Madden and they just confuse us. And I'm like, yeah, I don't do that. Like this is supposed to be easy, you know, and I'm, I'm teaching different, like, you know, like cover two, the soft spot is in the middle because it's where the pizza doesn't go. Right. And so they start laughing and they kind of look at each other and they have this moment and they're like, um, are you thinking what I'm thinking to each other? And I'm like, what are they talking about? And they're like, so there's this character in story mode that we've written and she's like a reporter, but she knows way too much about football. So she's kind of like a pain in the butt reporter to the coaches um, because she knows so much. And they're like, you could play her, couldn't you? And I was like, 
Ooh, what? You mean talk about football? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> and so pretty much they cast me as the reporter that day. And that opened the door to us working together. And then I ended up consulting with Madden and talking to everybody there. And it was like this feeling of everybody was so thrilled that I was in the game, but they were upset that I wasn't in the game as myself. And so from there, I think they uh, hatched this plot that, you know, superstar KO mode, which is something that was unique to Madden 20, right? Like that's when they first came out with it, could be a place where it was like, um, and they have other personalities in there, like Snoop Dogg's a coach in there, um, Khaled's in there, you know, and, and you have these other personalities that they could actually put me in there as myself. And that was the first time they had a, a female in the game who was playing herself. Nice. Jen, how do you, I'm looking at your Instagram here. How do you view social, social media? How do you use it for yourself? Are you happy with how you use it? Do you want to do more? You want to do less? How do you think about that? I would like somebody else to do it for me because I get so caught in the weeds of stuff that I do that I kind of forget that I should be doing stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I probably am not as good about it as I should be. And I get chastised about not doing as much on social um, as people would like. And, you know, I, I, I think part of that is like, I'm such an interpersonal person that like, Doing stuff like this, I'm like, I'm good all day. Like we're talking and it's it's connective, but just doing stuff that like is like that way that that's exterior that I'm not talking to people um, is kind of like weird for me. Um, so it's you know, I don't I don't know if that's just a a personality quirk of mine. Any question for me or anything? I love the work that you've been doing. Um, you know, I checked you out too. I, I just, you know, just an oh. FYI. All right. All right, Jen. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll be in touch. Absolutely, guys. Have a good okay. one. Thank you. you. Too. Bye. 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 Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 